Welcome to the Graceway Bible Church Podcast, a place to be immersed in teachings from God's Word. We hope you will be blessed by the Word of God as we discover together what our Heavenly Father wants us to understand. If you would like more information about our church, how to know Jesus as your Savior, or teachings from the Bible, visit our website, www.gracewaybc.org. Join us now as we dive into God's Word. I pray that you would give us an opportunity today, Lord, to see ourselves in uh, who we are and help us to understand more about what you want for us. Lord, give us a vision for the next steps in our lives, for where you want us to go and who you want us to become. So, Lord, we now open open your word and ask for you to speak through it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I saw this this note. I think you're going to find this interesting. I saw this note on Reddit, which is a social media site this week. Here's what someone says. I don't know if this is a man or a woman, but here's what this person says. I feel like I'm becoming a mean and bitter person. I don't want to be. I want to be nice again, but sometimes I'm just so rude, and I don't know what it is about me that makes me react in the way I do to people. I don't like being like this. A lot of stuff has happened to me in the past few months. A lot of stuff I don't think I deserve, but I don't know why I'm being like this, and it makes me feel terrible. I don't know what to do. Oh, I can identify with this person's feelings about this. She's struggling, or he's struggling with this whole concept of of becoming mean. Sometimes I'm working with a family, and a family will say, we have a, a child who's just mean. I don't know where this child gets this, because my wife and I, we're not mean. We're gentle. We're gracious people. But our son just has this mean streak. We don't know where he gets it. I'm going to tell you where he gets it right now so to remove the mystery of this. It comes from what the Bible calls the sin nature. We all have a sin nature, which is a propensity to move towards sin, to move towards selfishness, to move toward meanness. And today we're going to see in our passage some guys that are just plain mean. And I want you to look at this story, and I want you to get yourself into the story, because I think when we do, we end up coming away with some applications that we could have in our own lives, because we do not want to become mean people. The solution for the sin nature is not more willpower. The solution for the sin nature is the saving blood of Jesus Christ, the gospel that comes in to rescue us, to save us from our sin. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he saved us from the penalty of sin. We still have the presence of sin that exists in our world. It's the power of sin that we wrestle with in our lives. And if you're not a believer, then maybe you have willpower that can help you be kind or gentle or something. But when you're a believer, you have so many more opportunities to trust in God's power, the Spirit's power, to come in and help us not be carnal, as the Word describes this worldliness, not to be carnal, but to be spiritual. And when we allow ourselves to be spiritual, then God takes over in our lives, and so we're able to deal with some of that meanness that takes place. In fact, if you look at the fruit of the Spirit, there are several of them that can help us, patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control, that all of those things are fruit of the Spirit's work in our lives. God, give me more of that. I don't want to become a mean person. 
If you see rudeness or meanness or yelling coming out of you, then you're, you want to say, oh, I need, well, I need Nehemiah chapter 4. Let's look at this passage and see what happens in this passage. Notice the meanness that takes place right in the beginning. Would you stand with me, please, as we just read the first five verses of Nehemiah chapter 4. Now, when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. Two words for anger there. And he jeered at the Jews, and he said at the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? Tobiah, the Ammonite, was beside him, and he said, Yeah, what are they building? If a fox goes up on the wall, he will break down their stone wall. And without any interlude, Nehemiah just breaks into prayer. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. It almost sounds like Nehemiah's prayer is kind of mean, isn't it? Well, let's talk about this. Go ahead and have a seat, and we'll try to look at this for just a moment. Let's go back to this first part of the passage. I want you to see there are two words there, two Hebrew words used for anger. The first one in particular I'm interested in, it's the word hara. You can spell it in your Bible if you're taking notes or in your notebook. Circle that word, anger, and type charat, C-H-A-R-A-H. It's pronounced hara, anger. It's an anger with intent to harm is what it is. Now, a lot of anger is that way, and when it starts to come out, there's this intent to get revenge, to harm someone who's bothered you, irritated you, hurt you in some way. It's the same word that's used of Saul when he saw that David's popularity was growing and the Bible says he was angry, charah, inside. This is the same word that's used of Moses when he comes down from the mountain and sees the people um, worshiping the golden calf. He takes the, the tablets and he, in anger, he was angry and he threw them down, charah. This is the same word that's used of Cain when he was angry with his brother and struck him and he died. This is chara. This is the same word, chara, that happens in families when someone yells at someone else or someone who uses sarcasm is mean inside of a family. This is the same chara that's used in the neighborhood when someone is mean or, or when someone at work is just mean and angry. This is the word chara. Chara is the word here. I don't want to become that way. I don't want to become Sanballat or Tobiah as these guys did. And notice he jeered at the Jews. So it comes out of his mouth, as, as Jesus told us, it's out of the mouth that the heart speaks. Notice verse 2, it says, and he said, in the presence of his brothers, he had an, an audience. When people have an audience, they sometimes like to speak out their negativity and their critical attitude and their angry responses so that everybody else can hear it. And they believe they're justified because usually they're right. Somebody has hurt them, but that's not justification to be mean. It's, I think this is his Facebook here. In, in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, and he starts making these jeering comments, and then when he does, then you know how this happens. You start criticizing somebody and being angry with somebody. Then what happens? Somebody else steps in and says, you're right. They, those people are terrible people. That's the Tobiah standing next to him who's also jeering uh, the Jewish people. I'm just amazed that Nehemiah, there's no introduction here that Nehemiah went away and called a meeting and had a prayer meeting 
It, it doesn't say Nehemiah went away and kneeled down and prayed. It just says in the moment he calls out to God and he says, oh, my God, I need your help right now in this moment. I think this is one of Nehemiah's solutions to not becoming an angry person himself, not becoming one of these people that becomes mean and critical and hostile and, because he's able to offload this to the Lord. And if you look at his psalm, it does, I mean, his prayer, it does look a little bit um, mean, I would suggest, because I think we all have this sense inside of us that, that we feel like being mean, but what we do is we need to go to the Lord and say, God, I want to give this to you. Why do we do that? Because God has created our hearts this big, and it's not big enough to hold the personal injustice that we experience. We need to offload it. We need to turn it over to the Lord. That's what Nehemiah is doing. It's just one of the solutions that we're going to see in this passage. And so what I want to do today is I want us to look at how do you live when you've got mean people around who are doing things that are mean or critical? How do you live in that situation? I know some of this is very close to your life. Maybe you're a young person and you live in a home where parents yell. That's not the right thing to do. How are you going to respond so you don't also become a mean person? You are in danger of becoming more mean if you live with mean people, and so you need a plan. Nehemiah has a plan. God's going to give them a plan. Watch what happens in this passage as we go forward. Verse 6, so we built the wall. Isn't that interesting? We can go back and do the work that God has called us to do, to grow in our lives, to be the husbands and wives that we should be, to be the children we should be, to be the employees, the neighbors that we should be. We're going to go back in and do the work. We're going to focus on what we need to do instead of focusing on all this stuff that's all around. You see, what happens is inside of our hearts, there's like a blender that gets stirred up with anger or discouragement or uh, fear in our lives, and it just starts to rob us of our ability to, to do what we need to do. I really like this. They focused on what they needed to do. Great statement. And all the wall was joined together to half its height. In other words, now the wall is halfway done. They've got another half to go. I'm thinking of football. There's a half done and another half to go. And notice how they got the half done. The first half, notice I underlined it there, they had a mind, for the people had a mind to work. Circle the word mind there, draw a line across, and put the word heart, because that's really what the word is. It's the word L-A-V, love. It's the heart. They had a heart to work. They put their heart into it. Instead of having their heart churned up by the blender of anger and sadness and, and fear, they've got their, their heart committed to doing what's right. I'm just going to focus on the right thing. I'm not going to get my heart all uh, churned up. When I think about football and I think about the halftime locker room speech that must take place, I always wonder, what is the coach going to say this time? When you see a team that's losing and they've got to go in there, what does the coach say? I think the coach must say something like, look, guys, they're making us play their game. Let's not play their game. Let's play your game. You know your winners. Let's go out there and play the game that you were designed to play. You can win this game. Let's go out and do it. I think that's kind of the halftime speech. We're going to see some words that Nehemiah is going to use uh, here to help us with the halftime speech. But I think sometimes we start to see the rudeness in our lives. We start to see us starting to, to be angry or getting revenge in some form or another. We probably need a halftime speech. We need to come to the Lord and say, Lord, I need your help here. I'm starting to play the world's game. I'm not playing the game the way you designed for me to play it. And so we pull back. I probably need to do that every day. We probably need to come to the Lord every day and open up his word and say, Lord, I want to hear your halftime speech for me today so we can stay on track and not develop the sand ballad or the Tobiah inside of our hearts. You got to know, though, if you're having a halftime speech, 
The enemy's also having a halftime speech over there. That's who the, what we read in verse 7. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all had their halftime speech. They plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. You've got to realize that we are fighting a battle. Young people, I want you to understand something. It's really important because sometimes young people believe that the world is a playground designed to make us happy, and really the world is a battleground where we need to do some work with the Lord and allow Him to fight for us. And in the midst of that, when we recognize the world's a battlefield, then we can experience the joy and the peace and the love that God wants for us. But there's this battleground mentality we must understand. There's a lot of young people who, who are in their lives and having fun, and they come to that realization that life isn't all that fun sometimes. And then they are discouraged or despondent or even engage in self-harm because life isn't the way they thought it would be. One of the signs of maturity is to move from this sense of the world being this playground to a battleground, and that's what we see. It, it, one of the things that get you sidetracked is emotions. Emotions are basically good, but sometimes our emotions get us in the way of ourselves, and so now we can't really do what God wants us to do. I just think about Peter in the New Testament. The young girl comes to him and says, aren't you one of the disciples? But his fear caused him to step out of his discipleship role, out of what he needed to be doing, and to lie and do the wrong thing. I'm sure that had a mark on Peter's life. I'm sure that's why he wrote in 1 Peter 5.8 this idea of the battleground mentality. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And Satan wants to use emotions that get off track to distract us from the work that he wants us to do. That's why in Ephesians it says, uh, do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil a foothold. Wow. The enemy's prowling around. He wants us to become mean and ugly people. Let's go on and see what else Nehemiah does. Isn't this an interesting statement in verse 9? And we prayed to our God and set a guard. There are actually three things that are kind of balanced in this passage. One, they prayed. Two, they did the work. And three, they set a guard. They set up the guard, the protection that would be a protection against them day and night. We must set up these guards in our lives that protect us from the enemy trying to get at us. You'll know when you're in danger, when you start to see the symptoms, when you start being rude or, or, or giving that uh, snap kind of a response to someone, uh-oh, I need to get my protection back in track here because I'm moving in the wrong direction. Now, starting in verse 10, we're going to see the people of Judah start to get discouraged, which I can imagine. I mean, if you live with people who yell, if you live with people who are critical and mean and negative, then it's discouraging to live in that environment. I want you to see what happens to them. First, we have to look at the discouragement, and then we're going to see how they come out of that because we need this in our lives. We don't want to become mean people, but we have to work in places where there are mean people. We drive on roads where there are mean people. How are we going to prevent ourselves from becoming mean? Listen to the discouragement in verse 10. In Judah, those, Judah's where all the people that are working. In Judah, it was said, three things that are true. I want to point out that they're all true things, but sometimes when you focus on true negative things, they make you discouraged. 
the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. We've been working at this for a long time. This is hard work. You ever have someone say that to you? Oh, I'm just so tired. I don't think I can keep doing this. That's what they're saying. Number two, there is too much rubble. And there is a lot of rubble. Sometimes in order to build, you need to clean out first. And sometimes in our lives, we come to those places where we say, there is just too much rubble in my schedule. I need to clean out some of that. There's just too much rubble in my house. I need to get rid of some of that stuff so that God can do some work. Sometimes it's the, the distraction of busyness that prevents God from being able to work in our lives. That's the second thing that he says. And thirdly, by ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. It's a true statement. God is going to come and help them and support them. And, and, but when we start focusing on the negative, even though the things are true, discouragement can come into our lives. But here's what's really odd. These people are discouraged, and they're starting to quote the enemy now. Look at that. Do you see that? This is a quote about the enemy. They're quoting the enemy. When you start quoting the enemy, you're in trouble. We should be quoting scriptures. We should be <laughs> quoting what God has for us. Notice this. And our enemy said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop their work. Then we got the other people. They're not the enemies. They're the Jews and they're, notice what they're going to say. So here, this is what discouragement does. It gets us focused on the stuff we shouldn't be focusing on. We need to focus in a different direction, which we're going to see in a moment. But notice what it says in verse 12. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions, said to us ten times. Do you think the ten times is an exaggeration? Because when you're discouraged, you tend to exaggerate the bad or the negativity. Or maybe it really was ten times. Some of you live in homes where it's more than ten and you're putting up with it over and over and over again, or in neighborhoods or in, at work where it's, it's more than 10 times, you must return to us, they're saying. In other words, stop the work. This isn't worth it. You're not going to be able to do this. Well, notice what Nehemiah does because I think we need this in our lives. He says, verse 13, so in the lowest parts, the most vulnerable places, he's going to set this guard up. He's going to set up the protection. Where is your most vulnerable place? Maybe your most vulnerable place is when you're tired. Maybe your most vulnerable place is at night. Maybe your most vulnerable place is when you're alone or you're alone on the Internet. Where is your most vulnerable place? That's the lowest parts. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I station the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. I got some protection in the lowest places, he says. And I looked around. I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, and now we're going to have what I consider the halftime speech of Nehemiah to these people to encourage them to go out and continue fighting the battle of life. Notice what he says, first of all. He says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of them. I think that's really a good idea because sometimes we're afraid of people and it starts to affect the way we live do not be afraid of them, number one. Then two, it says, remember the Lord. Because here's what happens. Okay, we got all these things going on, and the flashcards of life start to come in front of our face. Oh, the work is too much for us. We can't do this by ourselves. Oh, there's too much rubble in our lives. Oh, these guys are mean. They're saying all kinds of bad things. And so these flashcards come in front of our face. And notice it doesn't say learn about the Lord. Do you see that in the passage? It doesn't say learn about the Lord. It says remember the Lord. The things you already know about the Lord, take the flashcards from back there that you forgot about, bring them in front of your face so you remember the Lord. That's what he's saying. 
Remember the Lord. He's the one who's going to fight for you. He's going to say those exact words, or God will fight for us in a minute. Remember the Lord. Bring him to the front. So that's what you're looking at. What are you going to look at about the Lord? It says right there in the passage, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And this isn't just about you. He says, fight for your brothers, your sisters. No, your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Whenever you are are tempted to do the wrong thing, you've got to remember that there are other people watching you. When you're so tired, you say, oh, man, we were up so late at night. But no, we're going to church in the morning. And you get up and go to church. You're making a statement for your children who are watching you. When you're being uh, uh, irritated or attacked or annoyed by someone and you respond in a godly way, there are other people watching. Fight the battle, not for yourself only, but you're fighting the battle for those who are close to you. You're fighting the battle for your homes. That's what he's saying. Your sons and your daughters, your brothers, your wives. Fight the battle for other people. Other people are watching you no matter what you're doing. And so remember that, he's saying. Well, verse 15, when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his own work. We're back to doing the work we need to do because that's our focus. There's some people that uh, are not doing the work because they're so afraid of the other things. They have to work on so much other stuff. God has given you a mission in life. He's given your family a mission in life. What is that? How are we going to work that mission? So they got back and they started working on the wall, each to his own work. Now, picking up on verse 16, you're going to see the word half again. And and I'm thinking, here's a very important principle. We must remember this kind of half and half. That's what it's going to say here. It gives the impression of balance. We've got to have a balance probably between these three different things, this protecting, this doing the work, this praying to the Lord. We need to have a balance between all three of those things. Notice it says, from that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. It's interesting here that they're changing the way they operate. For the first half of building the wall, they really didn't need to have this strategy, but now they're in the halftime and they're saying, well, you know what, what we're doing, uh, I see that we have some problems here, we're gonna change the way we operate. This is why I think we need to go into the presence of God regularly and we say, God, am I doing the right thing? I'm starting to see some rudeness come out of me. I'm starting to see some meanness appear in my life. Lord, show me how I can change the plan here. Show me how I can be more like you. Show me what I need to do. Uh, We need to balance the protection and the working on the wall. That's what he says. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall, those who carried burdens. Notice this. Those who carried burdens, just imagine, they're carrying bricks They're carrying mortar. These are the people carrying the weight. Just like you have your burdens, you're carrying them. They're going to change the way they carry their burdens in order to meet the challenges that they have in life. Probably we need to do the same thing. We need to change the way we carry our burdens in order to meet the challenges that are attacking us in the course of our lives. Notice, those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way. In other words, this is the, they changed the way they work so that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon on the other. A sword in one hand, a trowel on the other. I use those words because uh, Charles Spurgeon, a great preacher in London in the 1800s, had a lot of good sermons, and he sent them out as newsletters, and he called his newsletter from this passage, The Sword and the Trowel, because it's so important in our lives. We must have the sword and the trowel. Verse 18, and each of the builders, this is a great final kind of comment of ways that they're able to protect themselves without getting sucked into becoming 
like the Tobiah and the Sanballat. What do they do? This is the last of the things. And each of the builders had his sword strapped on his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me, and I said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall far from each other. Kind of reminds me of Graceway. We've got some people down in Bordentown, some up in Flemington, some other people over in Pennington. We've got people separated on the wall, working on the wall individually, all doing what we need to do. We're living the Christian life. We're doing what we're supposed to do. We're trying to build the wall in our particular area, just like there. But they're saying, we're all far from each other. We're separated. So what? Verse 20. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. Isn't that interesting? Do you think God would fight for them when they're all separated? I think so. But he's saying, all come together, and when you come together, God will fight for you. Also, it, it, it just reminds me that there's sometimes when we come together that God can do something that he doesn't do when we're all spread apart. And so when we come together, there's a way in which God fights for us, and there's a beauty about that, that coming together, God does something. I, I think this is why Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Do you think God is present when one person is by himself? Well, of course. God is present everywhere. What's he saying in that verse? There's something special that happens when two or three come together. I'm present in the midst of them. There's something ha that happens when the rally cry goes out and we gather together to be the people of God. God does something very real and powerful in our lives. Let me continue on in the rest of the verses here as we finish this up. So we labored at the work, and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, kind of an interesting thing he's going to tell them here, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes, each kept his weapons at his right hand. We didn't wash our clothes. You know, there's sometimes our priorities need to be set so straight, so other good things we put aside for a bit. That's what's happening in this past. They're focusing on what God wants them to do. They're able to build the wall. I need this in my life because there are times when I may become a little bit rude or annoyed, or, and I don't want to do that. I want to focus on what God has for me. What a beautiful passage that pulls all this together because I'm sure that you, as many of us do, must live in a place where there are irritating people, and you don't want to become like them. You want to be different. You want to be able to trust the Lord. And, and sometimes I, when I'm working with a young person whose parents are getting a divorce or, or there's um, bad things happening in a home with people yelling at each other, I'll say, you know, God must have something very special planned for you. That he wants you to keep a soft heart. He wants you to have a gentleness inside of you that you can learn in the midst of all of this other junk that's going around. That God can do something special to strengthen you in your inner being that you don't have to be like those people that are around, but you can trust the Lord and allow Him to do a work in your heart that is amazing and powerful and beautiful. I believe that that's what God wants us all to do in our lives. Thank you for sharing in this message. We pray it will make a difference in your life. Please consider joining us for our Sunday morning and evening worship services. For location and more information, visit our website, www.gracewaybc.org and listen next time to learn more. May the God of peace richly bless you through his Son, Jesus Christ.